Hi, and welcome to Showcast, the podcast that explores the creative journey of concerts, films, theatre shows, and public art made with Notch. Today, I'm speaking with Notch's company director and lead developer, Matt Svoboda. In this episode, I find out how Matt's game development and demo scene experience evolved into a real-time motion graphics package used by exceptional artists on the biggest live shows in the world. Matt and I discuss some exciting changes coming to Notch 1.0, including a new user interface, increased feature cohesion, and even higher rendering quality. So join us as we journey through the evolution of Notch and discover what the next major version of Notch has in store. You're listening to the Notch Showcast. Hello, Matt Svoboda. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, thanks for having me. We're going to be discussing some exciting changes coming to Notch later this year, including a new UI, new volumetric capabilities, and our move into version 1.0. But before we get into the tantalizing things that will be happening in the near future, I'd like to paint a picture of Notch and the journey we've been on to get to where we are today, starting with you, Matt. Do I have to actually paint a picture? No, 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 just an audio picture. So you studied computer science at the University of Southampton. Can you remember what first got you interested in computing? God, it must have been when I was like 10. And uh, my dad brought home like this really shit work PC. And I never had a games console as a kid. Oh. Oh. <laughs> and I didn't have an Amiga or a C64, a C64 either because oh, I, I was not cool enough to have any of those either. So the first computer that I got access to was like my this crap PC that my dad brought home. I think it was a 386SX20 for those who are old enough to remember such things. And there was like no games on it or there was like one game. So the only thing you could really do was like faff around with programming. So that was it. So you're just faffing around, having a go with programming. Yeah. And I think I started getting interested in actually just making them do stuff. I mean, back then, like you were on a command line, there was no windows, there was nothing, there was no internet, there was nothing to do. So you just kind of faffed around with the computer and see what you could do. And I started like doing some basic programming and eventually I started trying to do like really basic games and doing basic graphics and I got a bit more interested and started building up from there. Cool. Were there any occasions where you've been maybe playing around with a computer and completely um, widescreened it? <laughs> I don't think I ever like deleted the operating system or anything okay. like that. I think I was reasonably good. But they were quite flaky back then. Like mm. everything came on floppy disks and nothing used to work. And it was, yeah, it was a good experience. And we're talking about games. When you left uni, you went to London to be an engine programmer at Blue 52, which is a game software development company, before joining Sony in 2006 as an R&D engineer. So what attracted you to the games industry? You said that you're kind of building these kind of very like basic games on your computer. Yeah. Was there anything in particular that kind of drew you into that industry? Yeah. I knew I wanted to work in games when I started uni pretty much. Mm. I knew that that's where I wanted to go because I was, you know, I like playing video games and I was interested in graphics in particular. So I went through, did the degree and got out and I applied to a couple of games companies. I sent them in the first demo I ever did. I sent them in as that, as my application. And I got some interviews and I got a job. And I was really lucky with the timing when I joined Blue 52. Like within nine months of being there, I got a title out. I shipped the first title. I mean, admittedly, it was like a sort of 
slightly low quality Disney license, but it was still, it was a PS2 boxed title. Like you could go into the shop and buy it on the shelves. It was a really good experience being able to go through that really rapidly. And you got that thrill of releasing a title as well. It's quite common in the games industry that people will have a 10 year career and never ship a game because it's really easy for projects to get cancelled all the time. Mm. Um, so shipping a game is like quite an achievement. And to get that experience of the end stage of getting something out is quite valuable, actually, especially early on. And you stayed with Sony for a few years. And when you left in 2014, you were a principal engineer of Sony Europe. And around this time, you were also making a name for yourself in a niche little pocket of computer graphics and programming, the demo scene. What did you like about the demo scene? It's always been an interest of mine. It's just, it's just back back then, particularly, like if you were doing stuff creatively on a computer, that was one of the main outlets available to you. Pretty much you were doing games or you were doing demo scene stuff. I think that and doing games, they both benefited me in different ways. I learned different things. The thing about doing demos is that because you're doing on your own, you learn everything. You get this really wide range of um, experience. And it was also really, it was a good fun kind of spare time thing, particularly when work was a bit boring. I guess that might have influenced the way that you program today as well, like that Mm. taking all these things into account. And in 2014, you joined Disguise and spent a year there as their head of graphic research. Now, I know that at this time, you were also spending every other hour of the day writing the nascent code for Notch, which was at the time Mm. Demolition. At that point in time, what were you trying to achieve? When I was making demos, in the even from the early 2000s, you do everything with code, like you hard code everything. And if you want to change something, like you want to move something or change a color or anything, you change the code, you recompile it, run it again, and see what it looks like. So if you want to make iterative changes, that's the iterative loop you go through. Like Mm. it can be a a five minute loop to see one small change, right? Mm. So it's not the most practical thing in the world, but that was how people started off by doing it. And then we started like using scripts. So you write a script file and then you key press in the demo to reload the scripts and you can see the changes. Brilliant. Like now we can actually script stuff instead of code it. Mm. And then at some point we started making tools, like graphical tools. The idea was that if you make a graphical tool, then you enable artists working with you when you're making a demo to actually be involved. And then you don't have to do all the keyframing yourself. Like I was never very good at animating. And the idea was that you could get additional people, people who are good at animating, people like Yanni, who's a good animator, who can come in and like do that for you. I started putting a lot of effort into making tools for others. And eventually our demo tool got quite good. It was getting to the point where you could make a lot more than demos with it. Like you could make music videos and installations and a whole range of stuff. So we started using it for other things. And then by doing that, I guess we realized, like me, Yanni, a few other people, there was a number of people involved in this at the time. And we kind of realized that this had potential, like for making graphics. And that was the kind of first inception of the idea. Like Mm. rather than rendering everything slowly to video, you use all these things you're doing to make real-time graphics so you can do it real-time and iteratively and that was where the idea started to form of like what if you actually made this into a real product what if you made a product to make graphics but with real-time tools and that's where the idea kind of came in it's interesting to hear that side of things yeah i mean and then i met the founders of d3 as it was through friends and we sort of talked to that about this idea of let's see if we can get real-time graphics into the media server and into shows 
because I think shows have always come from a place like um, video in live shows sometimes needs to be live and it needs to be interactive. So you need real-time graphics for that. And at the time, I think real-time graphics in live performance was quite limited. What was your first impression of live event touring? The first job where D3 and Notch, as it or Demolition, as it was used together, was actually at Eurovision in 2014. And they had this LED floor that was pressure sensitive, so it was interactive, and they wanted to use it. So they brought us in to do graphics for the floor. And it was a really interesting, like, you know, the first show I ever did, 150 million people watching on TV. And like, we're all kind of sitting there going, oh, God, I hope it doesn't crash or it's going to be really uh, unfortunate. And it was, it was a really interesting experience. But then after that, uh, once we proved that it worked, there a couple of other things came through. So we did some demos to some local studios in London and mm-hmm. Treatment Studio, um, Luke Halls and a few other people. We did this early demo of what this could be. And um, the guys from Treatment said, oh, we're doing the Ed Sheeran tour. Come and do some, just some video on the show, like rendering some paint splash kind of effects of particles. And just to try it out and see how the workflow went. And mm-hmm. while I was there, the, Mark Cuniff was in programming because Treatment have a programming studio in there as well. And they were programming the tour and they were using in this box that does live camera effects. And it was like really basic kind of like echoing and 90s style um, effects. And we thought, hang on, I wonder what would happen because we could probably just pipe the camera into our software, which is running in D3 already. And we've already got it integrated and see what happens. we we'll see if we can affect the image. We've got loads of effects to do it. From all the demos we've done, we've got loads of 2D like post effects and stuff. And it worked. Like, it worked really well. Like, suddenly, you could do all this crazy stuff. And was that a big kind of, like, joining of the dots of this thing that you'd been working towards and then finding, like, a a little pocket within the live event space where it really made sense and made the process and workflow easier? We'd always been kind of aiming really high about, like, replacing rendering with doing it all in real time. Like you don't need to render anything anymore. You just Mm. play it all back live. We were thinking of ourselves as a tool that just replaces the end part of making graphics. But actually what we're doing here is we're replacing a process where people were like hacking stuff in a media server. Now we're turning that into a more creatively accessible process. And in 2015, you went for it. You left your steady job (laughs) to pursue making Notch. And now almost six years on, how does it feel? So really six years have been beta. That's quite funny, isn't it? No, I think it's good. Um, like beta is a funny label. Like is anything ever finished? Mm-hmm. Everything's always in beta really. So everything's always evolving. And when we've done version one, we'll go and do version two and it will be another evolution. But I think that what I wanted to do with one point, I always said I wanted to do 1.0 when we felt like it was complete or more or less complete. There's obviously always going to be things you can add, but I wanted to get to a point where what was there felt kind of complete. It's interesting what you say about waiting for something to be complete. Perhaps another element of why the development process has been so long is because it's just grown in complexity. Like the more Mm -hmm. shows it's been on, the more feedback we've had. That's true. I mean, you go in a cycle where you, sometimes you add a feature because people need it. And, um, I think there's certain aspects of the program that have just kind of evolved. You know, the overall experience was not the first thought. It was just about getting stuff working or Mm. getting a feature into someone's hands. And some of development had to be done really quickly. Like 
it needed a full going over, like a full rework. I think the the other the thing that sort of happened along the way as well was like when we first started doing this in you know the mid you know 2010s, we were coming at a different angle of thinking mm-hmm. like rendering is really slow, and so the one thing you need to change to make it faster is rendering. Over time, I think we realised that that's not actually the whole problem. And it changed the goalposts because if you could just make a tool that where all you do is import stuff and render it faster, right? Mm. And for a while, like Notch was used like that. It's been used like that for on a bunch of projects where he was loading a C4D file and they just re-render it. But actually what we realized along the way, because now there is a lot more options for real-time mm. or semi-real-time rendering, but it doesn't necessarily make it quicker to make a project or easier or more enjoyable to make a project. Uh, we kind of realized over time what Notch was for as well. So it actually kind of found its place, I think. Well, that brings me very well to my next question, which is a lot of people listening will probably know what Notch is or have some familiarity with what Notch does. But how would you describe Notch to someone for the first time? It's a tool for making graphics. Mm. What's different is the way that you make graphics. We wanted to make something that felt that making graphics could be iterative and experimental. You can quickly change things and explore different ideas and different Mm. routes. Because I think we realized over time that that's how we use the tool. Mm. And that's how others are using the tool as well. And we started to realize that what we needed to do was to really enhance that creative, iterative process. What is the product design ethos? You've kind of touched on it, but if you could summarize what the ethos is when when you approach designing Notch. A lot of the design is focused around quickly editing or quickly moving things around or quickly bringing things in to try out an idea. The big goal of the move to 1.0 has all been about user experience and user interface. And that goes from the top to the bottom. So it's everything from like the appearance of the UI. The UI has to look nice. All the data has to be, everything has to be clear and available to you. But it's also about everything working. When you connect stuff together, it shouldn't bomb. Not interrupt the creative flow, essentially. Yeah, you don't want people to hit brick walls. It needs to be robust. It needs to give people the confidence to try out random things and see what happens. Let's talk about the changes and new features that we can expect to see in 1.0. What has been the development focus of this version? It's been a long time in coming, actually. So Mm. we started working on this back in late 2019 after we shipped 9.2.3. 9.2.3 was a big feature release. We released Path Tracer, like it was a big jump forward. And then the next thing was to redo the UI So the first thing was we completely changed all the technology stack for the UI. So they were now using like an in-application HTML renderer. So a lot of the interface is built like a web page, really. And that's really had a positive impact on the look and feel. And it's enabled us to use UI designers. So the biggest jump about UI with 1.0 is the fact that someone's actually designed it all for the first time you often end up with things where they've never quite got beyond the beta stage of, you know, they functionally work, but that's it. Now, things are not intuitive. I think the biggest thing is someone's sat down and gone over the entire thing and worked Mm. out how it's supposed to all fit together. And that would be the thing that makes the biggest difference, I think. Like, it just all feels like one coherent experience. And aside from the UI, what else can we expect to see in the release? One thing we're doing, one shift with 1.0 is that Notch has the capability to be a tool 
that a lot of artists would be interested in using because mm. that iterative experimental workflow is appealing to a lot of people. A lot of work we were doing behind the scenes was about getting the components, the actual engine, the capabilities to the level where they work in a large enough range of cases. One of the problems with real time has been always that it limits you on sometimes on the scale of something or the quality of something's look. We realized we had to make something that could run really fast, but also could look really good. And not necessarily at the same time. Like, you know, you can't always achieve both, but you need to have the options because you need to enable all kinds of artists to be able to use the tool. Because quite a lot of artists are delivering packages of looks. So they, they might be delivering, you know, yes, a live event look, but maybe a YouTube promo for the event as well and things like that. So I guess it's giving them the option to make everything mm. in one tool, which is exciting. And also, I guess the other side of it as well is that I think we've realized now that the exponential growth of graphics cards is really mm. kind of skyrocketing. So by putting the frameworks and the foundation for something that can mm. render really high-end looks, not in real time, that once the hardware capabilities meet what the software can deliver, then, you know, any of that's possible. And we've seen a lot of this through this year's virtual production scene mm. that's risen up, like the level of rendering there is insane. And it's only possible because the hardware has risen to the challenge, essentially. Well, mm. lots of things. The people have too, but graphics cards processing has made it viable. Yeah, and some artists have to deliver something that runs at 60 frames a second mm. real time. And some, they just have to deliver a video and they don't care how long it takes, but they still want a workflow that feels responsive. Mm. So working at 10, 20 FPS in your viewport is still a big improvement on a lot of other environments. So we wanted to make sure that you can always work in a way that is responsive and be able to see what you're doing, but also be able to crank things up and get a super high-end result at the end. You need to have options. Mm. And I think the, the applications is going to be a lot wider like it, some people have to do a virtual production or live events thing which has to run you know in a really constrained way and other people are just going to be delivering video or stills and it's a very different environment but the the workflow is common to all so are there any specific capabilities and tools that you can share with us now that we can expect to see one of the most obvious ones is the volumetrics smoke and mm -hmm. field systems being completely rewritten which That's is exciting it's a real jump forward in quality mm. and scale. I think it's very much along the lines of this idea that you need to be able to give people the ability to make something really big and really high quality, mm. even if it stretches what's real time. We wanted to make something that looks good enough to be competitive with other tools, even though we're getting this faster workflow. The mm. more you're able to do a notch, it means that you don't have to go to another program. Because when you have to go to another program to create data you getting out of your creative flow to do it, right? Mm. And when you have to actually move whole passes or chunks of work from one program to another, you're often talking about an interchange step, which is slow and heavy and painful. And that's where you get gigs of data. And that's where you end up with something that's hard to change. And the whole goal of having this tool that's iterative and experimental is that you can have this huge scene, this whole scene you've made, and you can go to the smallest component in the bottom and make a change. And you can see how that cascades through. And it's important, you know, it's about seeing how your stuff works in context. Like 
you sometimes you want to see the sim in context of the whole render with all the effects on it and all the grading and all the objects in the scene. Mm. So having everything in that environment is important. So we want to make all the individual tools in the program good enough on their own that you'd want to use them. But the strength is when you fit everything together. The real power of Notch is that you can easily make all these systems and join them together to make these insanely complicated things, but quite easily. And I guess still wanting to be able to communicate and play well with other tools Mm. and be used as part of a larger production pipeline, but also for the individual or small studios, it gives them that freedom to not have to be literate on six different programs. Mm. You can kind of get great results within one. Yeah, I think, you know, we're improving our interop. Notch will often be used as just part of a piece of a chain. Mm -hmm. You use it for only a part of the task. Some people use it for everything. Mm -hmm. Some people only use it for a bit. And that's okay. We want to make that facilitate that as much as possible. I know that there is one change that users will be able to notice as soon as they load Notch up, which is the new splash screen. Yeah, we wanted to bring in a lot more online functionality into the program itself. So we wanted to be able to deliver you updates and content Mm. and tutorials and everything actually through the program we've also got like an asset browser a material browser we'll be shipping a library of assets on day one Mm -hmm. so it's a capability that we'll make more use of going forward and although we have touched on it to some degree in in short why have we made these changes to notch I think we wanted to get it to a point where it felt complete. We wanted to go over everything and make it feel like it was all intended and designed. Are there any specific ways in which these developments benefit our existing user base? We've been heavily listening to our user base's feedback on the product. I mean, we also, you know, our beta groups have been really good. We've had people go out and look at shows and talk to people doing shows and see what's going on. I think you you see the pain points people have when you actually see someone having to do something over and over again. And uh, those are the times when you think, oh, we need to make that easier. We need to make that simpler. If you ask anyone what their, most, their biggest request is, most people would say improving the UI. I think there's a lot of small, unglamorous things that actually make a huge difference to people every day when they'll be using the tool. Mm-hmm. So a lot of them are probably not headline features, but they're important to people. So that's why it's worth doing. It's focusing on the things that actually matter to the day-to-day lives of your users is quite important though. And how will these changes benefit our future new users? I think a lot of this is done with our current users in mind and our current use cases in Mm. mind, but a lot of it is also done with the mindset that it can benefit a lot more artists. Having these kind of tools that work in real time or close to it, it's appealing for a huge range of people. If you could do something quicker and easier and better, wouldn't you want to do that? Of course you would want to do that. So. I think we've very much got in mind that we want to make it more accessible to more people. And what won't change in 1.0? The core logic of nodes, timeline, you know, some of the systems are going to pretty much be the same. Like some stuff's working well and it's not really going to change. A lot of it's going to be very familiar. You're going to see things in a new way. There's going to be new components and some systems have been replaced or greatly improved. The renders will probably look better out the box but the core way the program works doesn't really change so the logic of the workflow is going to be the same the logic is the same 
So our existing users won't need to completely retrain to use 1.0. No, it's very much. It will take you a couple of you know, a couple of hours to work out where the you know the changes in the panels and things. But mm. um, I think you'll get through it pretty quick. What kind of learning resources will be available for people to to use? There's going to be updated tutorials, definitely. Mm. I think we're going to lock Armin in his <laughs> study for six months to make all the new tutorials. Another lockdown for Armin. Yeah, he doesn't know <laughs> it yet. <laughs> And when can we expect to see Notch 1.0 launch? I think it's going to be a lengthy beta period. And I think that's going to start sometime around around the summer. It's hard to put an exact... I think we were aiming at end of the year. I think the reality is that things can move because depending on how beta goes, things can yeah. always move forward or backwards. But I think the it's the beta period that's going to be important. We're trying to have quite a wide beta period to really make sure that what we're doing is the right thing why do you i mean i feel like this is just preaching to the choir but why do you think that real-time graphics generation is the way forward if it's a choice between doing it and not doing it wouldn't you do it if you look at where we're not started or if you go back to 2014 and mm. compare it to now if you talked about doing real-time graphics in 2014, people would have looked to you with distrust. People mm. didn't really believe in the concept at all back then. The real change has been like how much real-time has just become normality. Like the adoption of game engines, real-time tools are just becoming the natural thing. And it, that's great in some ways for us because you don't have to persuade people so much now that real-time's worth doing. They kind of, they want to do it already. And what advice can you give to someone getting their hands on Notch 1.0 for the first time? Watch the tutorials. <laughs> I think definitely watch the tutorials. What do you hope to see from our community in response to the new release? Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping there'll be loads of nice stuff posted on Instagram. That's mm -hmm. what I hope. I think the community's growing as well. The community's grown so much as well. And like, if you look at where it was back in, when was it, 2015 when it started? It was tiny. It was just a few people. And now it's really grown. And I hope to see it grow and develop and diversify. And I guess even to seeing new forms of experimentation as well. One of the nice things about tools like Notch, like, and you get it with Touch Designer as well, and some other tools, it's like what you're actually giving people is a box that can do loads and loads of different mm -hmm. things. The fact that you can reasonably easily make nice looking graphics like you know you can make a nice particle system but you can also reasonably easily hook up a camera and do like a skeletal tracking mm. and you can bring in all these sensors and things it gives you the ability to quite quickly and easily make something interesting which glues all those things together and that allows for a lot of experimentation i think that's when people get to be creatively experimental cool thank you very much matt it's been really great to catch up on all these new things that we have to look forward to yeah thank you thank you all right bye now bye if you're eager to find out more about the upcoming notch 1.0 beta be sure to sign up for our mailing list and follow us on social media we're at notch vfx on twitter instagram and facebook also, if you enjoyed this episode and indeed this season of the podcast, let us know as well. And don't forget, if you'd like your work featured on our Instagram feed, be sure to use the hashtag MadeWithNotch. Today's episode was mastered by Tor Aynes and produced by Ben Stamnes and myself, Kat Kemsley. That's all from us for this season. Thanks for listening and catch you next time. <laughs>